Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. One, it's free. Two, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. Today, my guest is Marvin Pratt, and Marvin is the Director of Environmental Health and Safety and Emergency and the Emergency Manager for Cal State University in Chico. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being had. It's good to have <laughs> you. Um, I want to I want to talk to you today about uh, the, the the campfire in Paradise a few months ago. Um, and basically because, you know, emergency management, is kind of in your, that's your wheelhouse. And just as that monster unfolded and that whole tsunami of people came out of the foothills down into Chico, you know, what did that, what did that look like? Just kind of your, your initial observations of, as, as that was unfolding, I mean, how, when did you guys realize that it was the monster that it is or did you know right away what you were in for? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that area had been, that kind of fire had been talked about for decades and decades. Right. Um, and I'm sure we're not the only area that has, you know, a lot of residential, um, development in a, in or under a conifer canopy like that. So um, that fire initially was reported in the news. You know, I got up that morning, not, I wasn't supposed to be at work, but I got up that morning watching the news and it was reported as a, you know, small hundred acre fire at, you know, the seven o'clock news. Um, by the time I was taking my um, son to school, when I rounded the corner and could see the foothills and saw the plume coming off the side of the, 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 mountain it was clearly obvious that it was way bigger than you know a hundred acres if not already approaching thousands of acres just by the size of the plume so I kind of knew right then that it was it was big and it was it was moving really fast um the plume you know was sh just shaped such that you could tell it was being you know very wind driven it wasn't mixing um, like a lot of plumes, you know, would if it was a kind of a just a hot, slow burning fire. So it it, it was pretty pretty apparent pretty early that that it was going to be bad. Um, but I don't think anyone at that point, you know, seven eight in the morning, still knew exactly how bad it was, how fast it was moving. I think about mid morning, that's when the news started coming out that 
it was already into the houses in that area and, and was doing a lot of damage. What was like, what was your first course of action? I mean, or did you, did you think, Oh, I've got to protect the university or let people know, or did, did anyone have any clue that, you know, like I said, the, the tsunami of people would be coming down into town. Yeah. So like I said, I wasn't even supposed to be at work that day. I was actually going to the DMV to get my license straightened out and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, as soon as I got to, as soon as I got to the DMV and, and essentially got in line um, outside the DMV, looking at the plume, I knew that I needed to try to get out of there and get to work uh, just report to work. Um, I knew it was going to be a big discussion. I knew it was going to one way or the other, if it didn't burn a lot of homes, you know, when we've had fires in that area, even if it's a lot of evacuations, a lot of our employees at the university work, I mean, live in paradise. So even if it wasn't, you know, going to end up destroying homes, they were going to be evacuated and displaced, you know? So I knew it was going to have effects to the university. So Essentially, you know, by nine o'clock, I was at the university meeting with the upper administration and uh, deciding, um, you know, that we'd actively start monitoring it, getting reports as fast as we could to decide, you know, are we going to be able to stay open? Are we going to have to, you know, close classes? Are we going to have to close the university and start making those decisions? Okay. I, my, my next question is, based on a <clears throat> there's just a headline that I saw uh, recently but I'm sure this number fits for you know right when the fire happened but the Chico traffic soars up to 70% after the campfire so Chico's already a pretty busy city and if you basically double almost double the traffic right. that's in my that's like gridlock everywhere. Oh yeah. It's um, so yeah. So Chico's a town of about, you know, depending on what number you use or who you talk to, but essentially it's about, um, you know, 85 to 90,000 people. But one of the geographic things about Chico is it's a very compact city. So for instance, another town out here, Redding, California, if people are um, familiar with that, Redding's about the same population, but it sits on a footprint that, is you know 10 to 15 times bigger than chico so we added the the number that i um heard after the initial you know couple days um the number was down to a, about they estimated that we'd absorbed anywhere between 26 and 29,000 people into you know chico so the first couple days it was higher than that when we had all the shelters open and stuff um no one has an exact number and uh but yeah traffic absolutely was was you know a, a, an impact you know lines at stores and and things like that but you know the congestion is is just that and, and you know even one of my employees <clears throat> who lost his house uh you know on day two or three was in a fender bender in a in a and in, in a parking lot you know just because you've got a lot of additional people, their minds certainly aren't on driving um, because they're, they're going through a traumatic experience. Uh, 
So even with all that, while traffic was really bad and accident rates have gone up, for the most part, I think people are pretty, um, you know, they're pretty tolerant of it, understanding that, you know, are you really going to sit here and complain about having to sit through two stoplights to get through an intersection when, you know, many of the people around you? Yeah, when when, when 20, 30,000 people just lost their homes. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I am kind of, you know, pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, there's always the, there's always the few out there that, you know, complain about, about everything and stuff. But for the most part, I think everyone has, has taken it pretty much in stride and really understands that, you know, um, it, it's, it's just the, the new norm and we all just need to work with it. So, so basically people have been pretty, the, the community was very welcoming. They weren't you know, you know, get out of here. Don't, don't hang out on my lawn. No, not at all. In fact, it's, it's, uh, you know, we had, we had somewhat of a primer, you know, last year with the Oroville dam, uh, incident too. Um, so this was in a lot of ways, this was kind of like, you know, here we go again. Um, I, I, I think in the initial stages, nobody understood, you know, obviously the, obviously nobody understood the scope or the scale and, and, you know, this is going to be years long process, but, um, you know, people, a, a lot of people uh, in paradise and Megalia uh, where the homes were lost, a lot of them had motor homes and stuff like that, that they were able to get out. Uh, so, you know, you see a lot of, uh, so, you know, I shouldn't say you see a lot around where, where I live, you know, there's a couple subdivisions being built, and where there isn't houses started yet and stuff there, the streets are lined with motorhomes. Um, you know, there's vacant industrial lots where people have kind of set up things like that and stuff. So um, in that sense, you know, people have been pretty welcoming, you know, I, at least everything I've heard pretty tolerant uh, uh, of the, uh, you know, the impacts and stuff like that. During all this, of course, you know, the media flocks. You know, because it's new, it's sexy, it's exciting, it's, it's right. dramatic. Lives are lost. You know that crap sells. So, so they're and they're doing their job, which that's what they're supposed to do. So now, you know, the, the media room after the actually the initial media romance. You know what happens, or it's easy to, you know, the media stops covering it. So. For us out here, you know, who went through our own little fire this summer, even, you know, think, looking about looking at yours, you know, it's not being reported. So it's kind of right. out of mind. And, you know, I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't know, I don't know I'm well, about this, but there, there certainly is that initial, um, you know, the media frenzy, the, uh, part of it here and, and for the initial several days, um, you know, I, I wasn't out and about in the community uh, a great deal um, because I was working in the university's emergency operations center. Um, just in the initial stages, you know, ensuring that we're not going to have to evacuate our residence halls and, um, and stuff. Uh, and after that dealing with uh, a lot of just the, not so much immediate emergency stuff, but the business continuity, trying to ensure that we can open again when we're supposed to and pay all our employees and things. But, you know, the, the media 
frenzy was really good um, for, you know, and this is, I, I surprised myself by saying this, I think, but, you know, it was really good for a lot of the, the campfire victims in the sense that um, it helped get donations um, you know, and that's a double-edged sword as well in emergency management. And we, you know, we uh, learn a lot about that in classes and stuff. The good news is, is that people need things. Um, the bad news is, is that a lot of, most people want to give stuff uh, instead of money. Um, and so the media is good about getting people's attention and then people want to help victims and they see their plight. So there is a lot of, of gift, you know, of giving in the initial stages and that's really good. Um, I think the problem is, is as the media lingers and tapers off the, the last stories that they end up doing are all about just that. It's not about necessarily the, the fire, the devastation, it, it becomes about uh, because you've already shown all the burned homes and they've showed the, the sad stories about people losing their businesses and stuff. So it, it's still affecting the community. So they still want to talk about it on the news, but what they end up doing is they end up talking about the, the recovery effort and the giving, which encourages other people to give. And so you end up with literally, you know, warehouses full of stuff that, you know, it's kind of, you know, to get back to, you know, the examples that are close to me, I had two of my employees who lost their homes and, you know, one of them has three kids. One of them is a, a single person, but neither one of them have closets and garages and stuff to put all the stuff that people want to give them. So they're very thankful that people want to give it. There's just no room. And that's what, what they need is money. They need money to, to buy all the little things that people don't give and, to reestablish, you know, their, their kids in, in new schools and things like that. So the media, you know, the media served its purpose in the early stages. I think um, it didn't seem like, you know, things just collapsed um, when they left. Although, um, you know, at least from the uh, North Valley community foundation um, and the uh, wildcats rise, which is the, the, um, Chico State's kind of internal fundraiser. It does. It did seem like that the giving, you know, monetary giving, did slow down once uh, once the media stopped covering it. Yeah, it's, it's not tugging uh, on people's heartstrings anymore. But yet, the the, the need is obviously yes. still there. We're what several months right. out now. Yeah, we're uh, and the. And you still have, do, do they know approximately how many of the residents of those areas are, are residing in Chico now, or are they just kind of scattered all over the, the, the North County or the North so, State <clears throat> community? You know, the initial, you know, obviously the biggest, you know, Chico was the closest town. So, so most people came right down the hill into Chico um, now. Um, but a lot of people, because of the way they, the, the, logistics of evacuating the ridge um up by the paradise of Megalia, you know it steered a lot of people um into oroville as well and um so what they found though was you know the initial 
people got out and so a lot of people went into shelters well as they had time in the shelters and um to to find places to go you know um now you can't hardly find a place to live you know anywhere from um Oroville to the south to clear up to Red Bluff which is 45 miles away um and you know because the towns here are so small and so scattered um every single town literally every single town is you know the rental markets are largely saturated um the real estate markets are you know going through the roof i mean there's bidding wars on houses it's kind of crazy in that sense but um so populations here in Chico have kind of dwindled as, as people just go further and further out. You know, I, I know a couple of people that have gone, you know, ended up all the way up in Reading, which is um, about 90 miles away. And some people in SAC, which is 90 miles away uh, the, uh, to the South. But um, yeah, they're just, they're just scattered all over because there's just nowhere to live. What, I mean, you're, you're involved in some, you know, community meetings, obviously, because of your position what is it i mean just just gonna be temporary shelter for people until they can find places to build or or buy or i mean are 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 people taking families into their homes that you are aware of so it's yes absolutely uh it is it's almost like any scenario you could imagine it's happening i mean i know you know a friend of mine who had a, um, a, you know, a father or, you know, husband and wife and two small children and an infant, they all moved into his daughter's bedroom who had just gone off to college. So, you know, literally those five people living in um, her room and, you know, um, one of the people that worked for me, he lives, he's living in an RV um, parked in his brother's driveway. Uh, there's, you know, friends, uh, my, the other co the other person that worked for me, she lived for the first three, almost four weeks. You know, she lived on a couch at one person's house for two weeks and then on a couch on another person's house before she finally found a place um, about, um, well, see, that's in Capay. So that's about, you know, it, where she lives. She's, it's about 15 to 18 miles away before she finally found this little place in a, in the middle, you know, a walnut orchard, just kind of a studio place. Um, so there's families that are sharing apartments. Um, you know, there's people living in people's living rooms. It, it is, it is literally all across the board right now. Um, so as people go further away, um, you know, that'll kind of stabilize a little bit. There are a lot of people who thought about moving out of California or moving out of Chico. Um, you know, they're, they're putting their houses up for sale right now. Um, the, the, you know, the rental market uh, is kind of a little scarier, especially, you know, some of the meetings that I'm in about, you know, college students and stuff is, is, you know, renting to college students, you know, renting houses to college students can be kind of, um, uh, a challenge, you know, and a lot of work, um, it can be pretty lucrative. So people do it, but 
you know, any of those people that have ever wanted to get out of the rental market and, you know, I don't, they don't feel like dealing with it anymore, whether it's college students or families are just, you know, they're, they're evicting their tenants. They're, you know, they're giving them a 30 or 60 day notice and putting them the house up for sale and they'll get a hundred thousand dollars more now than they could have, you know, two months ago. And so the people that they're evicting, um, they don't have anywhere to go. So you've lived in Chico this whole time and rented from this you know, person and suddenly they want to sell the house. Well, it's not like you move down the street or move across town. There's nowhere for you to rent. So you end up having to leave Chico because you, you can't, you know. Uh, so it's really been um, interesting to, to watch that kind of market change happen uh, and just really, you know, it's really sad to see it happen to so many people so massive long-term effects yes yeah that uh i mean this is going to go for years this isn't just going to be a few weeks or a few months it's It's years and years if not a if not decades Hmm. well because you know to add to 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 add to the story a little bit you know it, it helps to understand that um you know paradise part of the reason paradise grew, um, you know, there's certain people that are drawn to that, um, you know, living in the pines and stuff. And it's obviously very beautiful. So, you know, a lot of people like that. Um, but part of the reason paradise grew was that real estate in Chico was so expensive, um, largely drawn, you know, driven up by the college, um, being in town and as the hospital in town grew and things like that, um, you know, there was, more industry out at the airport and things like that. So um, people want to live in Chico. So it grew, it drove the price up and, and drove people further out up into the foothills and stuff. So now you've got all those people that are coming down into Chico and um, in, in a sense, they're driving the market even further up, but what it will, what it will do, and, and none of nobody knows, you know, they're all talking about it, but nobody knows the answer is that cheaper to rebuild in paradise than it will be to try to buy a house in, in Chico. So that will actually encourage people to rebuild um, faster up there, right? Because um, some people have said, there's no way I'm going back. I could never sleep at night again. Um, you know, um, we were looking to retire and sell anyway, so now we just might as well go. But the cost of, of real estate in Chico is going up so much that, that people, even if some people don't really want to move back to paradise, I think they will need to move back there because they won't have any other choice. The challenge with that, though, is, you know, in Northern California, we've had three fires um, that have burned, you know, a little over 20,000 houses um, in the last, you know, 13, 14 months. So you look at paradise, well, how are you, how long would it take if you just started tomorrow, how long would it take for, to build those 15,000 houses back when you still have the normal construction in Oroville and Chico and all that stuff. So the work pool isn't there and they can't come to Chico or come to Oroville and rent while they build those houses because those houses are full. So it's such a catch 22 that, um, you know, a lot of people are just waiting to see what no one knows, but like 
uh, like you said, it'll be years, if not decades, to figure it out. I'm a real estate agent for a home builder here in Utah. We build about 250 homes a year. So, and we're just one builder. Right. And that's just, that's 50. So you have to replace. Think about replacing 20,000. Well, and the challenge is, is you're you know you're building your homes. So your people already they're already employed, right? Where do you where do you come up with the extra labor force to rebuild homes? Right. Um, and uh, I mean, there you know, there's a lot of a lot of contractors, a lot of builders that you know they they see an opportunity there to you know to to rebuild those homes, homes and stuff. But um, yeah, they're they're not quite sure how to handle the you know if they could find someone to come here and work for them, how are they going to house them? Where are they going to be housed? Yeah. If you're a contractor and you're not bringing your own tools, like bring your own. Yeah, house. exactly. And, uh, but, and then uh, bring, bring your own land. Cause uh, there's no, yeah. Cause it. every, every uh, RV park between, you know, within 90 miles is full. So. Well, you know, I guess, you, you mentioned some of these people don't not wanting to build in paradise because they couldn't sleep, but at least the fire danger is gone. Well, yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't right. I mean, um, you know, it, it obviously it, it, it burned a lot, you know, and I, I drove through that area, um, you know, on New Year's Eve, it did quite a tour of the Ridge and stuff to see things. Um, and, you know, it's, it, if you know fires are such a weird thing especially when they burn through timber it's amazing to see the devastation but it's also amazing to see what it missed or what it left you know true yeah because it doesn't just wipe it's not like a hurricane that wipes everything out it just it's very slow right. sometimes but so now you do have all that burned timber and there's a lot of big timber up there that it burned through and y you know i mean growing up with a, a dad who felt timber you know i'm, I'm used to talking about or seeing timber sales, you know, where you go through and you say, okay, well this, you know, 160 acre parcel and we're going to take out all trees that measure such and such X, you know, and what's that going to cost? Well, the trouble up there is that you have all these trees that now need to come down before they fall down, but you're not dealing with one owner, you know, like Louisiana Pacific or fruit growers that owns all that. You're dealing with a couple hundred different landowners so it's, it's not a, the, the cleanup there so that you don't have all this dead timber that would even be, you know, become a fire hazard, you know, by next summer. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they do that. And I'm not quite sure how they will. I, I don't even know how they'll approach that. I, I haven't heard any of those discussions yet. So you think it burned, you know, and it, in, and in some areas it looks like a moonscape, but it looks like a moonscape with, you know, 60 foot tall, twigs um in the middle of it that are going to have to come down yeah it's like one catastrophe breeds another you know and then you're going to have rain yeah and, you know that probably already have happened you know the mudslides and well we've had one one good rain that that actually you know it it did create a flash flood that washed over highway 99 which is the the major north south um highway through here that you know in my 30 years of being around Chico I've never seen um, or heard of that flooding like that and then actually tonight um, we have a real significant weather storm and wind storm they expect 
on the valley floor here, they expect anywhere from two to five inches of rain with 55 to 65 mile an hour winds. Um, and, you know, rain totals and snow totals go up as you go up the foothill. So it, it is a little unnerving to think what might be happening up there in the dark right now as far as uh, mudslides and, and just, you know, collateral damage. Yay, bring it. <laughs> I tell you. You know, all you guys need now is locusts and you'll have all the biblical catastrophes. Yeah, I think, you know, we've had fire and flood. Yeah. Now we just, what else, now we just what else is there? Need the bugs, I guess. So bugs, bugs and eat the crops and just let's just wipe it all out and start all over. Yeah, no, with the cockroaches. Yeah. Um that's fascinating. There's just so much to to unpack the story and unpack. There's just so much that we who aren't there, you know, just have no clue what i mean like say we experienced our own little we had a similar fire in size but it took 11 12 days for it to get that big right and two small little communities one that i live in one next to us that were evacuated you know nothing we didn't lose this we didn't lose not even a shed right Um, so you know i just wonder it makes you wonder you know how how that's decided is does it God or the universe decides, okay, I'm going to wipe this town out and this one I'm going to spare. Yeah. Um, well, I guess lots of different ways to, to, I mean, think about it like that. Um, you know, here, I think there's just so much, uh, you know, through the, through the years, you know, you don't have things happen. So you get numb, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it's kind of like uh, just encroachment on things. Right. If it's one or two houses and think, well, those people are crazy for living on the face of that canyon, you know, because the the fire could burn right up it. But when that doesn't happen for 10 or 15 years, then other people think, well, geez, I I wouldn't mind that view. So they build houses and then pretty, you know, and it's, it's that mix of, of needing property tax and, and sales and wanting to grow you know, expand the economies and things like that. But, you know, people build into more and more questionable areas and um, just geographically, you know, with where the fire started in the little area of Polga, um, there's a place right through that. That's the, that's the um, Feather River Canyon. And there's a little place in there called the Jarbo Gap. And, that's that's where they always measured the high winds you know they're you know kind of southern california has the santa ana winds and ours are nothing like that here but when they did talk about wind and and the always the highest wind spot was the jarbo gap well you look at the way the jarbo gap winds blow and they blow you know if they're they blow right up into paradise or they blow right down in towards towards oroville um so you got to know that when you're in a, a heavily forested and brush, you know, canyon with high winds, um, I mean, it's, it, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have fires. So as people build closer down into the canyon and, and further away um, in higher density, it, it, um, it, it is a recipe for disaster, obviously. And that's what played out here. It's just hard to 
recognize as it develops slowly over, you know, I don't know. How yeah, long. and there's a thinking that no, it's not going to ever happen here, and that's just that's just normal. And yeah, look how uh, if you're not, go ahead. Well, you know, and look how good we are at fighting fires, and now we've got these big aircraft that can come in and do it, and and that's all fine and dandy when when you've got all those tools available. But you know, this fire started and moved so fast, there was very few fire crews ever able to put water on it because they immediately went into life-saving mode um, and you couldn't get any aircraft on it because the winds were so high and the um, you know the winds were blowing the plume in the same direction that the flames were moving so you can't get ahead of it to lay a fire line so for the first couple of days there was little if any you know aircraft fighting this and for the first several hours like i say almost every uh firefighter even even a lot of the bulldozer operators that ended up on the fire in the first part were you know doing uh helping save people not really fighting the the fire per se and unless you've been around fire there's no need to think that you know you, you look you'll go into the woods and you and you think well this is beautiful i, I want to live here and after having served, you know, four seasons on a hotshot crew 20 some years ago, I go into the woods and hear the wind rustling through the trees and I see fuel. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard. Not, uh, it's beautiful, but it's like, this could go so fast. And, and right. one of the communities right next to us is, is just, is in small, like probably 30 foot scrub oak forest. Oh. And that stuff burns so hot and so fast. And I, every time I go up there, I think this is beautiful, but man, I'll take some guy out doing something, accidentally yep. starting something and it's, it's over. Right. Yeah. It, and yeah. And, and, and it, it just happens. Well, not always, but it can happen so fast. I think that that's just the, the biggest thing about this fire is how fast it went. And I think, um, you know, just from, from my experiences uh, and uh, some training and stuff like that. But, you know, this fire started pretty early in the morning. You know, I, I think the initial reports were 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Um, had this started at 1 in the morning, it, the the fatality count would be hard to imagine. Um, oh, it'd be, it would be quadruple what it was, I'm sure. Well, because a lot of people that worked there. No. You know, a lot of people that lived up there were down in Chico and down in Oroville at work. So that thinned out the crowds they had to um, evacuate. Of the crowds they did have to evacuate, um, a lot of people were up in the morning already and going because a lot of them were elderly. And um, there's, you know, a large population of retired folks on Paradise. And, um, you know, it's harder to get those people going. You know, I, I realized from my search and rescue days, um, and some drills we did up there, you know, back in the mid nineties, uh, they don't, they don't move very fast. And if you're waking them up out of a cold sleep and trying to get them going and it's just that much harder and takes that much more time. And, uh, I think that if that fire would have started at one o'clock in the morning and moved that fast, um, I can't even imagine the conversation we'd be having today. That's, uh, it's frightening to think like that. Yeah. And, and it, I know, 
I have to really watch who I talk to, you know, especially at work um, because I don't want to make it sound any more dire than it was. But, um, but I, you know, as bad as it was, I think we got pretty lucky with only, I think we're 83 fatalities with three unaccounted for or something like that. But, um, you know, the bottom line is less than a hundred fatalities for a, an incident that, that, that fast yeah i i think is is pretty lucky i appreciate you coming on with me today and sharing kind of your perspective some insights some boots on the ground yeah perspective of 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 this that's just kind of a blip on the rest of us radar for the most part um i've got a few neighbors that are from chico so i'm a little more connected to it and you know of course know you but um yeah i appreciate i appreciate the time that you know, you're able to give and share your, your thoughts on this, you know, and I guess what's, you know, kind of in closing, you know, your biggest takeaway from this or, or, or something, you know, what you would want, you know, some of the listeners to, to take away from this. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's funny because in the emergency preparedness world, you know, it's, it, it's drilled into us and all of our training. And then we try to drill it into people is, is be ready, have a go kit, uh, and all that stuff. And I know with, um, the person on my staff who works, um, a lot of her job is fire life safety on campus. And she was a fire inspector for the town of paradise. And, you know, she got up that morning and went to work. Um, and you know, the fire was, you know, 15 miles away and it was only a hundred acres. So she didn't think um, a lot about it. I mean, she was, <clears throat> she did consider it, but she ended up with her car and her wallet and her phone or, you know, her purse and her phone. I mean, that's what she had after the fire because all the planning she'd done, all the defensible space <clears throat> in the end didn't matter anything. So it, it just kind of changed my perspective in that if I have to, to tell people now, the biggest thing to take away from this is, um, you know, have, be, be ready, be prepared um, as much as you can, but also, um, you know, think what if you can't return to your house, what would you do? And what would you do if you were in competition with every other person in your neighborhood, right? Um, do you have family and friends to go to? Uh, are there things that you can back up in the cloud um, or um, store them other areas, you know, not just at your neighbor's house in case your house burns down, but, you know, outside your area in case something big does happen. So it's, it's kind of things like that. It, it took, it took the, the kind of simple have a go bag preparedness, you know, bullet that we always share um, in some ways kind of tossed it out the window because um, for something when it's this catastrophic, that's not quite enough, but, you know, hopefully most people will never have to go through something like this. Right. Right. So, and be tolerant of people that I, yeah. that's the other thing, right? I mean, you do see it, you know, people are, you know, it was one thing when it was day, you know, week one, month one, and now we're going into month two. There is, there is, some you can start to see some people get less tolerant of it and stuff but um you know this isn't anybody's choice and and we all just need to be good humans and 
but but it's not my it's not it's not my problem and you know that's kind of some of the attitudes like look your crisis is over i don't see it on tv anymore go back home yeah yeah yard yeah and i think that plays there is a lot of seems like there's a lot of um effort local efforts to um to keep it in people's minds you know to that you know butte strong and paradise strong and and some of the other campaigns that are that are kind of going out there and stuff and and i think that helps but it'll be interesting you know you and i should talk and you know in three or four months and see if if people have still been able to be uh yeah to be tolerant right tolerant kind yeah like what you haven't rebuilt your home or your house or your town yet come on man what's wrong with you probably you had the better part of six months yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah that'd be interesting okay cool well thank you man i appreciate your time you bet i'll have to come back on sometime and talk about something a little less depressing Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.